Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it continues its 1980s dominance of the market. Right now, we're in the middle of our Miracle of Marvel Man, a Captain Britain special. And with me, as always, is my amazing Captain Britain co-host, the amazing Kevo. Hello. We've been on a weird journey in this segment. We've discussed the early pages of Captain Britain Weekly, the sort of lost era of not appearing and then appearing as a sidekick and a backup feature. We've seen Captain Britain show up in a crossover he kind of didn't belong in. And yeah, it was fine enough. And here we are in the pages of Alan Moore's... I think I just got way ahead of myself there, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. We're getting there, though. Real close. Here we are in the pages of Michelangelo's Marvel Man. This is a fantastic concept. And anybody who missed our last episode, a brief recap. A company in the UK had permission to reprint Captain Marvel stories. Like, you know, Shazam! Captain Marvel. And lost that permission and began making Marvel Man stories. Over the years, the character's popularity waned as American comics became available in the UK market, and interest in the character dwindled, so as did the right information. When Alan Moore began a now famous deconstruction of the character in the early 80s, it would begin a tumultuous period of time for the character, not only on the page, but behind the scenes, where multiple companies and multiple industry giants, the likes of Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane, all claimed that they owned the rights to Marvel Man and Miracle Man, to the point where Todd McFarlane had the character appear in the pages of Spawn, kinda sorta. A billion lawsuits and a ton of litigation and a couple of badass judges later, Marvel Man now mostly rests in the hands of Marvel Comics, most recently appearing in the pages of Marvel 1000 with a sort of promise of the never quite finished or released in its entirety, but we've been promised it's coming, Miracle Man The Silver Age by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. Before we could get to that, though, we needed to talk a little bit about the not-quite-golden-age origins of the character. This character is from a black-and-white serial kind of era, a period in time where characters didn't need a whole lot of logic and they sure didn't need a whole lot of story. The stories were meant to function so that the kids who were reading them now could read them now and in several years the turnover would be fine it reminds me of how bewitched used episodes nearly word for word from the first season in the eighth season just to save time and money back when repeats and especially home video weren't really things so you weren't really afraid of someone seeing the same episode again there were classic standouts that people talked about and remembered but a lot of stuff was just filler and that was part of the medium 
back then. The goal was quantity, not quality. As Marvel's popularity and success grew, so did the company's desire to create materials for these characters. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Marvel would try their hands at giving just about everybody a title, and some characters just about every title. And Captain Britain was just such an unfortunate failed concept in so many ways, he struggled to stay on the page, and so did Miracle Man. Now, the threads that tie the characters together are more about the creative team than anything. There will be a small character crossover during Alan Moore's run, but outside of that, this is more about a thematic connection. Kevo, I'm sure as you've read, you haven't seen too much that really has anything to do with Captain Britain, and have you wondered at all where this is going to segue over? Dude, it's been almost 13 years. I don't ask questions like that anymore. Legit, I just trusted that it would reveal itself and you would highlight the parallels over time. And it's so great that you said over time, because what helped create the parallels was, quite literally, time. Alan Moore's Miracle Man benefits greatly from the conceits and constructs of the golden age tropes that created the stories the character lived through. Captain Britain is going to require a little bit more work, and the writers are all willing to do the work, and it creates a very different story. Especially because the material that they're referencing is, gosh, I don't know, I think I'd have to say completely un... Uh, unimitable. I feel like it's sort of like when people say it's hard to make a bad movie that's funny and bad on purpose. I do agree. It's hard to be bad at something funny on purpose that isn't sort of slapstick. It would take Christopher Guest to make the level of parody I feel some of these stories in Marvel Man Family's Finest 4 through 6 entered into. Oh, but I would love to see that actually. That does sound fantastic. Like one of my notes for this episode was I think that the world was robbed of the fact that Tim Curry never played Gargunza. I think a 20 years ago Tim Curry would be an amazing Gargunza. In my head and heart, it's been Eddie Izzard. Okay, okay, and I think he could probably still play Gargunza, honestly. Just two very different kinds of sweet transvestites. Yeah. One of the things that definitely I find pervasive through these stories, and a general vibe of the Marvel Man suite of tropes, is a complete lack of logic. Kevo, you'd pointed out a couple of things about the sociopaths in this book desperate to get their hands on billions, and the methods they use to get their hands on said billions frequently cost billions. Well, Gargunza's not the one that I called a sociopath. Gargunza is an idiot, though, because like he can make rockets that go to the moon and when he gets banished to a deserted island he is able to make himself a speedboat out of the materials on the deserted island make fuel out of palm fronds and make himself a freeze ray all out of things from a deserted island and like buddy if you can make all of those things and you're not a billionaire that sounds like that's on you it sounds like you aren't marketing yourself right. These are amazing inventions that, from everything we are told about this universe, aren't universally available. So why isn't he a billionaire? Sounds like he just sucks at what he does, like marketing himself. He's just, I guess he is a sociopath, but that's not who I call the sociopath. No, I said Kid Marvel Man is a sociopath. 
Do you want to touch a little bit more on why this child who just wants to save the world is a sociopath? Does he? Does he just want to save the world? Maybe it's just the stories that Joey Q picked for this collection. I don't know. But especially this issue is a great example. Uh, Kid Marvel Man and the Bad-Tempered Farmer, where Johnny takes it upon himself to punish a farmer for refusing to feed a stranger by trespassing on the farmer's property and fishing in his part of the creek and then using his Kid Marvel Man powers to throw the farmer's dog into the creek. Cool. And then like, yeah, the only drama of the issue is Kid Marvel Man having to save the farmer because he's the reason that the farmer is in the creek. And then the final panel of the issue is him looking directly into the camera saying, well, it sure was a great day. Yes, sir. A great day. He's a sociopath. Like, I worry about what Johnny might do. You touched on something that I've been really eager to bring up. I frequently listen to the episodes when I'm editing them, not just for errors, content, stammers, and stuff like that, but I listen to get a deeper understanding of what my contributors are saying, and a couple of the things you pointed out last episode led me to some interesting conclusions. When I think about the fact that Marvel Man ran for 345 issues, when I consider that Young Marvel Man ran 345 five issues and that there were countless other titles on top of this i have to wonder how these were the stories that joe quesada chose to highlight these characters now i will be honest when i read these stories for the first time having already read a significant portion of the alan moore run prior i could certainly see intentional threads that were meant to be highlighted but particularly the serial that ran through all six issues was just painful. Uh, I mean, anything that has to do with island natives from 50 to 60 years ago is obviously going to make you cringe in this day and age, but it was rough. I actually put in my notes a number of things about that, and I'd even tried to hold my opinions on the portrayal of indigenous people because I recognize the era. But at the same time, one of the tribesmen literally says, Bah, you most stupid looking white man I ever saw. Material is so thin and seriously just outright racist. I love the fantasy of it and the classic idea of superheroes, but the story, I think at the same time, indicates that not everybody behind the pens were superheroes yet, and they even call the guy an Indian chief, and I think the kind of, like, comparison they're going for is, like, Native American, but I don't think they're in America, so I'm not exactly sure how they're Indians by the racist term, unless they're in India, but then it's a different kind of uncomfortably racist yeah it's it's a lot Speaking of some of these numbers, the Marvel Man Primer provided some really terrific numbers of significance. For instance, the first appearance of Marvel Man was Marvel Man 25, and the first appearance of Young Marvel Man was Young Marvel Man 25 as they took over for Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. respectively. However, it wasn't until issue 37 that saw the first Marvel Man Young Marvel Man team up, 57, which introduced Young Nasty Man, and Young Marvel Man 100 was the first Gargunza and Young Gargunza team up. But it wasn't until Marvel Man 102 after that that Kid Marvel Man was introduced. 
Huh. Yeah. It sort of puts some interesting perspective on what we're talking about. 1954 was Marvel Man 25. 1955 saw the publication of Marvel Man 102. So 75 issues went by in the span of a year. The stories had to move at such a clip. It's not that we necessarily feel there's something wrong with the stories. It's more the era that forced comics to be so quick churn turn get it out the door and get it done yeah i mean the phrase run of the mill comes from somewhere whether it's the pages of the deconstructionist relaunch or the early adventures of marvel man miracle man any iteration of the character there's a humongous importance placed on the value of the marvel man family and what they're meant to provide the role they play i think the number one thing i'm walking away from this story scratching my head wondering is if I ever really feel we faced a threat that required three Miracle Marvel Man motherfuckers. I just don't feel there was ever a threat that logically needed all three of them. I get that, especially when some of the threats were even just downright illogical. All their time-traveling adventures were weird. There was that thing where they picked up that Australian radio signal, like, by chance. Like, so many of the things from these stories, I know that, you know, it was the era of not really thinking and just putting things out there. It was all just so strange, and I agree. I don't necessarily see what would have caused needing a second, let alone third, Marvel Man for this family. Part of what I find so puzzling about trying to imagine villains that could handle all three Marvel men was I felt like they struggled to find villains that can handle Captain Britain by himself and these villains were insanely feeble. This was some sort of biting the lamppost levels of completely incapable of forming a logical plan and I love young Nasty Man and I guess I'm fine with young Gargunza and Gargunza's fine but I don't feel there was ever a point where I was like damn this villain's got it going on. And not only that but I frequently had to question the validity of the reality of this story. If Gargunza really is the most evil man in the world, as Marvel Man points out, then why does he keep getting released from prison? One time they mentioned that he escapes, but at a certain point, when do you not make a prison that he can't escape from, especially with this many issues? I don't think we really saw any other recurring Marvel Man villains, just this dude, right? And I have to wonder if that was how they chose to present it. Something that we've joked about from time to time is people hyper-identify one set of villains with somebody from time to time. Like, everybody's all psyched about Mandarin versus Iron Man. The Mandarin had, like, 80 appearances, so I'm not exactly sure why everybody's like, oh, goddamn, he's so significant, and maybe he is. But we've yet to meet a Captain Britain character save for one that is going to return again in the future. So I have to wonder how many Marvel Man villains they're deleting to time because they don't play a significant role in the 22 or so issues that stand before us. And now how deleted to time are all of those issues? Are they available anywhere in publication or were they at any point? I know Marvel released a hardcover called Marvel Classics Volume 1 Premier Hardcover, which reprinted the first 10 issues of Marvel Man. They were originally on black and white newsprint stock, so that's what they did here again. I... 
believe that might actually be the upper limit of significant material released. Marvel published a couple more of these old backup stories throughout the pages of Miracle Man, the reprint series they did of the Alan Moore title, but they never have gone out of their way to make this all readily available. And I have to wonder how much of it is due to the cultural insensitivity. Have to wonder how much of it is due to a lack of cohesive storytelling. Again, Michelangelo created a rich world filled with hundreds of characters and many of them fascinating. This is just a minimal view into this period of time in comics. Wow, that's really wild. And it's based on the strength of these stories that Alan Moore and Des Skin began to plot this character's return to the pages of comics. It's also fascinating to consider that this character has been the subject of so many legal battles. The battle to retain the rights to Miracle Man or Marvel Man has crossed creators, companies, titles, years, continents. It's been an incredible whirlwind. Ultimately, Marvel did wind up with the rights and have begun publishing new Marvel Man material. They've done two completely new works while everything else has been a reprint of some kind. While many of the things are first-time reprints in the United States, the pages of Miracle Man 1 through 16, which Marvel released in the middle part of the teens, were recolors and somewhat recontextualized and chopped up editions of the original stories, whether they were in the pages of Warrior Anthology or the Marvel Man title. In addition, they have also published the six issues that comprised Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's only completed arc under the name Miracle Man The Golden Age. While they had solicited the first three issues of Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's second arc, two of which had already seen publication in the UK, though never being reprinted, they've since cancelled those solicits. But Neil Gaiman does say to hang in there, you will see them eventually. The best sign that we've gotten that those stories may come out came in the form of the second original piece of Miracle Man Marvel's published. Marvel published the Miracle Man Annual, which they comfortably sandwiched between two issues of the Alan Moore run. It features a story by Grant Morrison, as well as a story by Ecstatic's team, Pete Milligan and Mike Allred. What's significant about this story is Grant Morrison and Joe Quesada had had an enormous falling out when, or around around the time of, or possibly due to, or maybe causing, Grant Morrison to leave New X-Men. After that, Grant Morrison went back to DC and set up a rather nice home for himself, being in charge of everything. That story was a story that had been intended to run in the 1980s and never saw publication. Grant Morrison and Joe Quesada were able to put aside their differences long enough to co-create this amazing piece of history, and, much like Miracle Man, bring it to the present from a long-forgotten past. The Mike Alred and Pete Milligan story, like most Mike Allred and Pete Milligan collaborations is just fucking weird and amazing and represents some of my favorite stories of all time in comics. We'll get to that one in a little bit. The most significant thing, however, is Marvel released Marvel Comics 1000 celebrating the company's 80th anniversary and pointing forward in a bold new direction. This saw a full page of Miracle Man set after the events of the Alan Moore series. This marks Marvel's 
first new page set after what's been published. Kevo, I know that you're not quite up to date on everything going on in the Marvel Universe, but the idea of Miracle Man entering the Marvel Universe, how does that sit with you knowing what you've read about who he is already? Well, he certainly is unlike most of the Marvel heroes that I am aware of, so I would certainly be interested to see how a character like this would fit in with everyone else and how well he would play in the same sandbox. It smacked to me of the attempt they made with the character The Sentry, created by Paul Jenkins roughly 20 years ago. He was a fictitious Golden Age character that, with the help of Wizard Magazine, Marvel planned an elaborate hoax to convince people that he was a character that just no one remembered. And then the companion miniseries they launched alongside the character explained that that was due to a spell that was the only way to defeat his nemesis, the Void, by banishing the Sentry. It would also banish the Void, and Marvel reprinting it brought them both back. The Sentry wound up playing a major part in the early days of the Bendis era of the Marvel Universe, essentially being the opening and closing of the New Avengers saga, beginning in Breakout and concluding in Siege. That's fun, though. It is. It's a lot of fun, and I wonder if guys like Bendis, who have recently left Marvel, were like, God damn it, I thought I could wait long enough to get my hands on Marvel Man. I'm sure everybody wants to be the next person to write Marvel Man, but so far, it's only been Pete Milligan, Grant Morrison, and Neil Gaiman, something I do not have a problem with. I think a character like this is going to need to be used sparingly, especially after the events that we're going to talk about in the pages of Alan Moore and later Neil Gaiman's Miracle Man. I'm excited. Here on Access for Podcast, we often get a number of questions about the best way to read some of the material that we're taking a look at. Now, that's going to vary from title to title. Frequently, the best ways to read Uncanny X-Men can be found either in the Omnibus Collection or on Marvel Unlimited. The Omnibus Collection is pretty entertaining. If for no other reason, it offers the original letters pages. Now, sometimes the original letters pages can be charming and beautiful and feature people like Kurt Busiek writing in that he will never forgive Marvel for the events of the Dark Phoenix saga, which, in hindsight, the guy who wrote Astro City saying that his comics got too real is one of the greatest things of all time. But beyond that, these lovingly and painstakingly make sure that this is just about the closest thing to reading the book at the time that you're going to experience. Marvel's released a more recent line of a handful of books here and there known as the facsimile editions. These even include the original advertisements, and they're adorable, but they only really cover milestone issues. These don't tend to see whole runs released. For slightly less mainstream titles like The New Mutants and soon X-Factor, we're going to be turning to the Epic Collections more frequently than the Omnibus Collections. An Omnibus Collection frequently runs between 20 and 40 issues and costs between $50 and $125. The Epic Collections tend to be about half the size and roughly $30 to $40 a piece. These contain all of the stories in order. While the Omnibus tends to move what we might consider apocryphal stories to the appendix in the back of the book. The epic collections work to year by year put the bonus material where it would logically flow. For instance, the New Mutants Epic Collection Volume 1 places Karma's first issue, the A story of Marvel Team Up 100, in the front of the trade before the Marvel graphic novel New Mutants edition. Sometimes, though, collecting and reading this material can be a little bit trickier. 
Something like Captain Britain can be very difficult to get your hands on, so whether it's the special edition hardcovers that have been released over the years, such as Volume 1 and Volume 2 by Panini Press, which contain all of the UK adventures prior to the Alan Moore run, or the Alan Moore run, which was then collected in Omnibus. For Captain Britain, unless it's US-based, you're going to be taking a look at some slightly older, slightly harder-to-find collections. It's also important to note that not every collection is created equally. For instance, until that Omnibus edition that collected Alan Moore and Alan Davis's legendary Captain Britain run, there was no complete collection of the Alan Moore run. Most volumes picked up at Marvel Super Heroes 387, while the run properly began on 377. This is because there were several short burst writers who handled the title before Moore himself came on. In the case of a character like Dazzler, over the years her popularity has ebbed and waned, and while she is currently experiencing a tremendous wave of success, frequently Dazzler's title was treated like the kind of uncomfortable redheaded bastard it is, and in that regard, Dazzler has seen several now-out-of-print releases, whether it's a Marvel Milestones hardcover collecting the first 20 issues, or it's some of her Essential Collections. Essential Collections can be tricky to discuss. Like earlier this episode while discussing Miracle Man, we mentioned that a number of his earliest adventures were collected in a hardcover which presented them on newsprint. This newsprint, while here, was meant to simulate the experience of reading Miracle Man live at the time, in many cases is used in reprints to save money. For instance, Marvel had a line called the Essential Collection, and these were black and white trades reprinting a vast majority of the material on major titles and major characters. Frequently, the ink came off on your hands, and because it was black and white, it would make characters occasionally difficult to tell apart. Not that all of these artists didn't do a wonderful job giving each character their own unique identity, but sometimes it can be really difficult to pick Jean from Polaris, from Storm, from Dazzler, when everybody's tiny in black and white in the distance. Frequently, hair color was more than just an easy way for fans to distinguish the characters. They were an easy way to physically distinguish the characters on a page without having to put too much into it. When it comes to collecting digital comics, there's so many options right now, and it can be incredibly overwhelming to try and parse through the vast amount of material that sits in front of you. Whether it's Comixology Unlimited, or Marvel Unlimited, or any number of Amazon Prime-type programs, there's a lot of ways to read comics. Now, the question comes down to, how do you like to read your comics? If you're a trades person, if you're an individual issues person, that makes some amount of difference. For instance, Comixology's Unlimited app frequently offers a number of trades available. The Marvel Unlimited app focuses more on individual issues, so if one of those two factors affects how you want to purchase, definitely keep an eye out on that. It's really fascinating that growing up, I spent so much time working feverishly to get my hands on books that now I can instantly stream or download. And it's been a fascinating experience, whether it was trying to get my hands on what I thought were all of the reprints of Captain Britain scanned and terrible condition and on greedy, shady, bitchy, bad paper, or it's just trying to understand the difference between did I get the X-Men classic version or did I get the regular version because this is just a scant, you know, growing up as part of the emerging comic pirate culture, I could have never known that the effects of our archival would eventually lead to a better archival system for comics in general. I'm glad now that I'm able to support creators I love by purchasing the books in a way that puts money back in the hands of the owners of the characters, and I'm really excited that you've all come on this journey with us. 
And until we turn to the pages of Alan Moore's Miracle Man, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. You can also find me on the Facebook page for the show that I co-host with Nico, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action, which is where you can also find our joint Insta, Twitter, and Tumblr. No, not Twitter, because Twitter has a character limit on usernames. So instead, you can find us at Real Nico Kevo Ak, A-C-K. You can also find the super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories that we tell with our team from the Demon Hotel over at KidRideComics.com. What about you, Nico? You guys can find me all over this network on the other feeds of this show, like House of X, 80s Mutant Mania, or Thor Thursdays, as well as Now and Again, where I talk about pop music with my childhood best friend Chris Podcast, or like Kevo said, HTML. Don't forget to check out my music work, like the theme on Two fast to forever or me on instagram over at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and until we return to the pages of the uk comics that redefined what deconstructionism would come to mean we will see you bye